0: So today we have lit a third candle in this Advent wreath. It's a candle that we have named Love. We have our, our reclaimed fence over here um, that matches the other ones that, that are going up around the room. That's pretty cool. Love. Love and Christmas seem to go together, don't they? Talk about Jesus being born in a stable in Bethlehem, given by the Father to a world lost in sin. Why would He do that? Well, if you're like me, the first thing that comes to your mind is John 3.16. God loved the world so much that He gave His one, His only Son. We know this. If you've grown up in church, you've probably known it your whole life, and it's easy to sing about that love, the love on the first Christmas. Think of the words of Silent Night, one of the verses, Silent Night, Holy Night, Son of God, love's pure light saying joy to the world this morning, that third verse. Joy to the world. Actually, it starts out with, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. And then what? Wonders of his love, in case you missed it. And wonders of his love. And it bears repeating, and wonders, wonders of his love. Yeah, Christmas is just shot through with love. But what do we really know about love? Yeah, we say God loves us, but do we actually grasp what's at stake here? I would argue that we don't until we take the long view Until we hear from the Old Testament prophets, prophets like Hosea, only then do we really understand what what this love is all about. You take Hosea. Hosea is kind of a mysterious figure. We really don't know a lot about him. We know that that he lived in the 8th century B.C., so in the 700s B.C., we know that he prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel in their waning years, just before they were taken captive by Assyria to the north. And Those were, those were really turbulent years, and Hosea had the unfortunate job of pronouncing judgment on a disobedient and wayward nation. And the way that the Spirit of God led Hosea to present this message included some crazy methods. God commanded the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute. You know this story? Which he did. And she kept her day job, actually her night job. And then they had children. And Hosea was instructed by God to give them names descriptive of God's message to Israel. So he named his eldest, God Sows. And then he named his middle child, No Mercy. This poor youngest child got the name Nobody. Can you imagine being a kid being asked, What's your name? Nobody. <laughs> That'd be such a harsh name to grow up with. So when Hosea preached to Israel, he did something that I've actually tried to avoid most of my career as a preacher. He used his marriage and his children. As sermon illustrations freely. So, in this passage, it's thought that Hosea is actually reflecting on what it was like to be a father of young children and comparing that to how God felt about Israel. And for me, this gets really interesting. We're blessed to have quite a few parents with young children around here at Mountain View. Pretty, it's pretty cool to have. I mean, I, I actually enjoy it when there's this kind of activity on Sunday morning because this is life. This is real life. Now, your job is to pay attention in spite of it, <laughs> but I love it. There's nothing wrong with it. It means we're a family. And I love watching parents working with kids here at, at, at this church. One of the things I also love seeing is adopted parental relationships that develop in the church, little kids, um, they are cherished in this church, and they are parented by lots of folks, not just by their biological relatives. I remember um, the years of growing up with, with Terry's grandkids, adopted kids and grandkids, and that, you know, sometimes it was tough being their Sunday school teachers and, um, and w- working with them. One of the things that was amazing, though, it always worked, was if I would say to um, some, of, some of those kids, do you want me to talk to your mom? <laughs> it was amazing how quickly they would say, oh, no, 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 we're good, <laughs> we're good. I had, a, I had an experience a while back um, having a dinner at a, At a table. This was not with one of Terry's kids, but with one of the kids of our church. And we were sitting at a dinner table, and um, there was we all had our food on our plates, you know. So there was a plate here, and a plate here, and a plate here, and a plate here. And um, one of the little ones was sitting next to me, and there was a toy. It was actually a ball that had spent most of its life on the floor, and was you know getting rolled freely around this table, and I could just see what was coming next. And so I turned to my young friend and said, how about we put that ball down on the floor? And I got a very quick response, you are not the boss of me. <laughs> and I think I, I think I said something sassy like, um, oh, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm the boss of everyone. <laughs> but I wish later I would have thought, you know, maybe I should talk to your, your mom or your dad about that what would happen. I actually used that this morning on Elsie. Was I I went out and I said, so should we go talk to your dad about this? Oh no, 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 no. (laughs) Our kids are well loved here, and it's not unusual to see little ones like like Elsie being picked up and hugged and kissed by 10, 15, 20 different people on a Sunday morning. You know what this does? (laughs) Aside from spreading germs. it builds trust and it and it spreads joy and it sows the seeds of faith for her. What a gift that is. When was the last time you held a little one close? When you brought her close to your cheek to express that deep loving bond, child to parent or grandparent, Biological or adopted. There's nothing like that. This is the language of Hosea 11, verse 4. I led them with cords of human kindness, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. This is God talking. To Israel. This is that tender love that God feels for his children. And then what follows this statement is just shocking. In spite of the tender love that, and the joy God felt for his children, they turned away and they rejected their loving father. It doesn't make sense. There's a lot, about, a lot about parenting that feels like this. I speak from experience here. Especially when your kids get into their teen years, you have not lost that love for them, that urge to protect them, to hold them close. But if you're paying attention, you soon learn that to hold them close like that doesn't work like it used to. You must let go. And in doing so, you are loving them best. I know it doesn't make sense. If you're the parent of little children right now, it's hard to even imagine doing it. It feels illogical to most of us. But it's true. You come to a point in your kids' lives when you have to let them go. When God speaks to the prophets most of the time there is this standard sequence after a statement like verses 5 through 7 this description of disobedience there's a sequence they disobey therefore punishment comes you see it over and over again in the old testament disobedience therefore punishment But here's where it gets really interesting in Hosea. Here in Hosea 11, God says, How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and no mortal, the Holy One in your midst. I will not come in Wrath. In the place of of the expected, therefore, is an unexpected, even illogical, nevertheless. This is God's love, God's grace, God's heart. This, friends, is the very heart of the Christian gospel. In place of that natural, therefore, is the miraculous nevertheless. And this is the grace that prompted Jesus to say from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It's the illogical love that prompted God to give his son to be born as a poor child in a stable in Bethlehem for the salvation of humankind, you and me, before we even knew that we needed saving. It's the divine nevertheless love that called your name and said, I love you, and all I want is for you to love me in return. There's been a lot of the opposite of that in our world lately. Hatred. A lot of hatred talked about these last few months. And those two words that should never be back-to-back, hate and crime, have been in the news too often of late. Perhaps you heard the interview with Sharon Risher, the Reverend Sharon Risher. She was interviewed And she was actually very honest about how she felt. She's the daughter of Ethel Lance, one of the victims at that Bible study in Charleston, South Carolina's Emanuel AME Church. The shooter was welcomed into the Bible study and then murdered nine people. Nine people who had just shown him the love of Jesus. And as Reverend Risher was interviewed, I was impressed by her honesty. She said that she didn't feel able to forgive the shooter. Yet. But that eventually she would join the others who had forgiven him. Forgiven. To forgive someone is to actually be able to wish them well, to express love instead of hatred, in the face of hatred. Folks, we sing about love at Christmas. This is what it means. It's looking hatred and evil straight in the face and then doing the unthinkable, the illogical, the unreasonable it is to love anyway. This is the love of God, the love that came down at Christmas. Do you struggle with this? I hope you do. I believe we're meant to struggle with this. It's part of following Jesus. I remember a really important message I heard from one of the most gifted preachers to ever come out of the country of Scotland, Ian Pitt Watson. I was honored to be able to take a preaching course from him. And in a sermon about this kind of love, he talked about the old Broadway musical, Showboat. There's a song sung by a woman who is deeply in love with a very imperfect man. The song is called, Can't Help Loving That Man of Mine. Do any of you know this song? Maybe he's lazy, maybe he's slow, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I know, but nevertheless, can't help loving that man of mine. And Pitt Watson said, I think God must like that song a lot and sing that song a lot. Can't help loving that man of mine, says God. And that woman, my dear Adam and Eve, Mr. and Mrs. Adamson and all the kids, can't help loving them all, says God. Thus says God, how can I give you up, Ephraim, and surrender you, Israel? Ephraim, Israel, What does that mean? You know. It means the new Israel. It means Christ's church. It means this church. It means you and me. Do you know what happens when we're loved like this? when we choose to love like this, this kind of love is creative. It changes things. It changes you. There's an old hymn that we don't sing anymore. Maybe we will in the future. The words are, My song is love unknown my Savior's love to me, love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, there's no doubt that many of us in this room have been changed by the way that you have loved us. And there's no doubt in my mind, God, that you are calling some of us to reach beyond logic, reach beyond what seems reasonable, to a nevertheless kind of love, to maybe somebody who has hurt us, someone who has let us down. I pray, God, that you would show us at this Christmas time more of what it means to truly live in the love that came down at Christmas. We pray this through Christ. Amen. God bless you as you worship, giving your tithes and offerings this morning. I too